Welcome to Design Emergency. I'm Alice Rawsthorne, co-founder of Design Emergency with Paola Antonelli, and we're thrilled that in this episode of the Design Emergency podcast, we'll meet the designer of a remarkably imaginative and effective response to one of our biggest global challenges. Fabrizio Urettini is the Italian art director who has devoted the last six years to founding and running the Talking Hands workshops in the northern Italian city of Treviso, where refugees and migrants learn new skills that enable them to design and make products for sale and may eventually help them to find paid employment. The workshops are led by local designers and makers, all friends and collaborators of Fabrizio, who volunteer their time and skills to Talking Hands, working first in part of an abandoned army barracks and then in an old apartment. Hundreds of refugees and migrants have participated in the programme since Talking Hands launch in 2016, empowering them to use their time in Treviso productively whilst also helping to change local perceptions of refugees. At a time when an unprecedented 100 million people have been forced to flee their homes due to conflict or oppression to seek asylum elsewhere, Talking Hands demonstrates how designers and other creatives can help them to build new lives in their new countries. So Fabrizio, welcome. And beginning at the beginning, why did you decide to start Talking Hands? Okay, thank you Alice for this introduction. Actually really flattered to be able to contribute to design emergency. Actually, how Talking Hands start? I don't know if I never told this story, but Talking Hands was born after a protest. I remember that day very well. I was in the studio when messages started arriving on the chat saying that refugees had occupied the very central Piazza dei Signori. That is the, actually the, the center, the core of the city. I decided to go and see, and the square became the scene of a large peaceful protest. Several hundred young people decided to leave the reception center to join the prefecture an identity document, which, by the way, was their right. It was 2016, there was a lot of noise in the media about the humanitarian cries and the Lampedusa landing, but that was the first time this person had become real. We could see them and there were so many people in the square. I was impressed how the public space was occupied, so different from demonstration that I know. A large concentric circle of people was created and inside there was a discussion where someone was reporting instant instances to take to the prefecture. I had my camera with me and so I decided to take some shots that I probably have still have somewhere. At the end of the morning, after a group was received by the authorities, we proposed them to follow us to the social center where they could continue the discussion. Also a document was produced, I remember very well this young Nigerian man, they call him Professor, he was the one who transcribed the question. At the end of the meeting with some of that guys, we went to visit one of the free spaces of the social center and the next day we were already at work cleaning and painting it. That day Tolkien Hands was born, which we 
can consider as the extension of that square of that of that protest that made visible for the first time a new population in the city. So what did Talking Hands consist of initially? I don't know exactly what it consisted in this first period because we immediately start to work restoring what became our workshop. We peeled the wall, we plastered, we painted the spades and removed some materials and garbage that has been accumulated inside it. We were in occupation and the space was part of a squat that arises from a journey of several years of struggles and temporary occupation. The best way to know each other actually was to work together on the making of the workshop. After a consultation, emerge craft knowledge, professionalism, and with the few materials we had available, we immediately set to work to create the first collection of products. For the guys, that was a refuge, a refuge space. Several people arrive every morning at the atelier where I was waiting for them, and in a very natural way, we would get to work. The project took shape in a very natural way. For many of these people, it was a way to get out of the force inactivity of the camp and having a place where they can feel like home. And what were your expectations of the project at that time and your hopes for what it might achieve? I must admit that at the first stage we didn't have any concrete expectation. It was all in the making. Every day ideas were born and we tried to realize it together. The atmosphere was very joyful, we joke, look for solutions together, and a lot of ideas for creating objects were born. At that time the main activity was carpentry. We were mainly using waste material present inside the squad, including the famous ballot boxes with which we made the first refugiati collection, made in collaboration with designer Matteo Zerzenoni. This phase was characterized by by a strong component of experimentation, I think for subjects um, regimented inside prison-like reception facilities, it was informality that made the project attractive. It's informal nature, how things actually happen normally. You've explained very clearly how improvisational the the start of, of Talking Hands was, um, but it has since sort of expanded and evolved um, very steadily. How You were an art director, you still are, and, and very successful. How did that work help you to launch the Talking Hands project? Uh, I've been involved in visual communication for many years, but I don't know if my professional background helped me. For me, it was a, really like a daily epiphany rediscovering the pleasure of making things with my hands, uh, coming out from the studio, from computer, from a digital format. I was absolutely fascinated by the many ideas that were born every single day. But then, in course of realization, had already such a strongly defined stylistic mark. What certainly helped me is having an art director approach. Art direction is a bit like directing. You have to put together people with different skills and competencies, trying as much as possible to make everything harmonious and respectful of the different roles. And of course, a very important element of Talking Hands has been the involvement of designers and fellow creatives in leading workshops and contributing to the design process. How did you manage to mobilise so many talented collaborators so quickly and to keep them involved? 
yeah, some of these uh, were friends with who we collaborate together. I don't know actually why they agreed to, to, to help us. I think at that time there was a certain emotional pull dictated by the tragic news coming every day about the sinkings and the many people who died trying to reach Europe. I thought it was important for us to have the opportunity to engage with professionals so that we could grow and learn from other people. I took it was important this training aspect of the project and in the same times I was very clear about the need to get away from a certain colonial memory aesthetic that has tendency to exoticize design production where people from Africa are involved. The guys with who I work together every day were not so different from their Italian peers. They listened to pop music from Jamaica and the United States and United Kingdom, of course. <laughs> they dress in sportswear, baseball caps and sneakers. Almost all the designers were with us for a short time. They came periodically to view and correct prototypes, maybe four or five meetings, usually once a week and their participation was, a, was on a voluntary basis. With tailoring, it was a little bit different because we had Valeria, Valeria Marchi, a retired pattern maker, and then Anthony Knight, an English pattern maker of Jamaican descent, who spent a couple of months with us during the summer break, contributing to form the first group of tailor. During the first year of Talking Hands, what were the principal challenges that you faced? Uh, challenges were daily. <laughs> the cold mainly, the cold was our enemy. <laughs> we have a wood stove and the slogan of the group was more dimba, that in, that in Mandinka language is more fire, more fire. <laughs> but, also, but also in trying to find collective answer to the most diverse problem, ranging from language learning to healthcare, because we have some very serious illnesses. Uh, we had cases of tuberculosis in the working group. We, we, we tried to organize a legal support in the long and complicated legal path of asylum application. I think in a more general sense, the biggest challenges has been to instill a collective consciousness, a certain individualistic every man for himself culture is now commonplace even in African countries. We try to build a group consciousness with Muslim in some ways it was easy because they, there was already a stronger sense of community. Talking Hands can be considered also a political project. We were very active in the creation and participation in all major street mobilization in these years. In Venice, with the march of the 5,000, in Milan, Rome, we were part of a political organization and in that sense the project was not limited to design to cure, but also to the creation of a wide network of solidarity in the country. I remember our arrival and some of the demonstration with hand-embroidered banners, children in our shoulders. It was really um, incredible. It was so funny and so strong. Understand that if you are many, you count more. 
Indeed, it's an incredible story of practical and ideological activism and what incredible memories um, you must have of those protests. And so conversely, what do you think were the big successes of the first year? Uh, the first collection of Children Playhouse was certainly a good start of the project. We received a lot of reviews and there was a lot of enthusiasm. We felt we were part of a larger movement. Other projects similar to Talking Ants were born in this period and we were trying to participate in ind independent and self-made design markets and contribute to a discussion within design theory, an incredible effort uh, under a very unfavorable condition. And since then, how has Talking Hands changed? I mean, first of all, in terms of the nature of the workshops and the, the new services that you've offered. The project has actually changed radically. The atelier, while remaining an open space, is no longer traversed by dozens of young people every day. And most of the young people who participated in our activities are now holders of a residence permit, a visa, and work with regular contract in the most diverse professional field. At a certain point, it was necessary to recognize also a, a role, a position, in even in economic terms, to the people who had been most dedicated and committed to the project and the different training courses. If for a certain period the project was more eclectic and used different expressive languages depending on who was going through, at that time, at a certain point, it was necessary to professionalize. Tailoring is certainly the area in which we are working the most in this moment, in, in a specific area that is the, the area of Treviso, that has a long textile tradition where it has been easy to, to find companies with which to build a collaborative relationship uh, based on circular economy models, such as the exclusive one with uh, Lanificio Pauletti, which provide us with dead stock of very high quality wool fabrics. If at the beginning it was all very informal and experimental, we had to ask ourselves a series of questions about work safety regulation. If you decide to restore a table in your garage at home, that's one thing. But if you try to build a workshop, you need, uh, and, and especially working with uh, categories like asylum seekers and refugees, you need to, to have all the modern machinery that respects safety requirements. With tailoring, I have to admit that the risks are definitely low, lower. And how did your relationship and your way of working with the guys in the workshops change? Uh, the guys who continue to work with us uh, have known the workshop for several years. We went through difficult times, a pandemic that lasted two years where we managed to survive. The expectations are those of all of us uh, to have more stability in the economic terms and in trying to consolidate the work that has been done so far. And how have you been selling the products that are designed and made in, in the workshops and also found other ways of monetizing the participants' skills? 
We try to recognize uh, a fixed amount on a weekly basis uh, using expense reimbursement that are provided in our legal statute. We are actually a not-for-profit social promotion association. Recently, we all had a meeting together with our accountant to understand to understand the costs and the benefits of contracting two guides from the working group. The costs are very high, but I think this is the only possible way if we want to grow and also allow other people to come alongside professionals who can be help, who can help them on this path. We participate in fairs, exhibitions, expositions, we have a few stores that distribute our product and we had to deal with the complicated world of multipliers on product prices where the markup on the price of a product by the retailer is greater than what we perceive. We open an online store but advertising investment will be needed to promote it. Let's say that e-commerce has been an illusion for a while. Because it works, you should have to put a lot of money into it, in addition to the fact that we work mainly with the unique items that every single piece has to be photographed and described. And I should point out to everyone that you can see images of Talking Hands' work and the workshop itself um, on Design Emergency's Instagram grid at design.emergency. So please follow us there. And Fabrizio, when I first met you and started talking to you about Talking Hands, it was quite early in the project, I think during the the first or second year. And at the time, there was a, a lot of racism that was directed towards the participants in the project within Treviso, a lot of confusion and misunderstanding by Treviso citizens um, about why so many refugees and migrants had appeared in their city. How has Talking Hands relationship to Treviso and the people who lived there evolved during the project and has it really changed their perceptions of the refugee crisis? Treviso is located in Veneto, a region that in the eyes of many is a kind of Italian Alabama, <laughs> a region where the far-right party Lega Nord has the highest electoral score in the country. Treviso for 20 years was governed by a major who removed the benches from the public areas because foreigners were using. At the same time, it is a region that has become very rich in a short time, in the last 30-40 years. Before that, it was very poor and a land of emigration. So many people from here left in the 50s and 60s to France, to the United Kingdom, Belgium and Australia in search of a better life. Even if it's very rich, it retains a kind of country DNA and a kind of religion of labor. We leverage this because when we when we would go to local market and store to buy labor materials and tell to them what we were doing, the next time sometimes the clerk would set aside tools that some customer had left him but still in good condition and they give it to us for free. In this way, I think uh, through this war culture, we gained respect and, we're, and we were able to break a toxic narrative. Remain major systemic issues, the difficulty in getting a resident permit, 
continuous police checks, racism in transportation and in public offices, but society is changing rapidly, fortunately. <laughs> I don't think there is a culture of racism here, like in other countries who has a colonial history. There is a lot of ignorance and arrogance that, yes, I don't know if it is more or less dangerous, but it's something different, it's something else. And you told me some time ago that um, one initiative that really helped to sort of build bridges um, with the local community was when you offered a, a repair service at the workshop so local people could bring broken furniture and so on there um, to find it repaired. So that sort of opened up conversations. Is that something you, you still do or is that a sort of past part of the project? No, we still we still have this kind of um, open open window to the, especially with uh, with some companies uh, we recuperate a lot of uh, dead stock material, a lot of fabrics, uh, and of course um, people love to come and visit the workshop and spending time with us. Um, I think it's something that still. Well, it's fantastic that it's having that effect. And right from the beginning, Talking Hands has, as we would expect, given your background, been very cleverly and engagingly art-directed. Um, and you've worked with incredible collaborators on that, like the photographer Matteo Di Meda. How important was this aspect of the project to you? And how did you balance the desire to engage people's interests in Talking Hands with the political and personal sensitivities of its mission? And let's say that the project was able to tell its story to a practice that was done day by day. It was like a, like a diary. This aspect was certainly more important for the outside, of course, but it was essential in building awareness and in creating empathy with an audience of people who follow us in this daily report. We were able to experience this during the Christmas 2017. Many guys were out of the international protection system and we had a, a food shortage problem that was a really like incredible considerate where we are. We launched a call for food and in a couple of days a lot of people responded. For days people arrived to deliver, to deliver groceries, so much stuff that we could open a small food emporium. Photography and video are, cert are certainly the most effective mediums in these times. We have worked with Michele Amaglio, Matteo De Maida, Francesco De Luca, Lorenzo Marzi, and recently with Veronica Goriaska, uh, an Ukrainian photographer who came to Italy after the beginning of the current conflict. An approach we experimented with many of these photographers is to get out of the logic of the sneak peek, working together with the with them on the construction of a mise-en-scene. A democratic collective process is activated during the construction of the image, where everyone is involved as an actor, director, lighting technician. It is a nice paradox, but with fashion photographer, it was more easy to work in this direction compared with photojournalist. And how has your personal attitude to the refugee crisis changed as a result of your experience at Talking Hands? Oh, this is an hard question. I believe that the phenomenon of <laughs> but migration... But an important one. <laughs> 
I believe that the phenomenon of migration flow is the other side of the coin from the neoliberal policies that are now being practiced on a large scale. More and more population will be forced to move. Today we are talking about 281 million people ongoing, three times if compared to 1970. Unlike in the past where this movement had a definite starting point and destination of arrival, it seems today that the spatial dimension has disappeared. Can we still, can we still say which country a migrant comes from, where he starts from, where we'll find a new home, will stay, or the destination of his journey is another one? As the French philosopher Alexis Nuzelovici theorized, the idea of the foreigner belongs to a political worldview that is still alive but unable to define the spatial identity of the newcomers, the migrant of contemporary mass exile. One thing is it's certain, the modern exiles are entitled to a new life and a new home, but at the same time they bring with them a biographical experience that destroy our idea, define within geographical boundaries and reason for which we feel to them a great depth of gratitude. In other words, this from nowhere, of which the exiles are testimony, first of all concern us, our imaginary and our ability to destroy obsolete territorial conception. In this new space, border disappears, maps and small or large-scale political division, a continuum that implies a sharing and a, recon and a recognition of a new cultural and spatial dimension. What a beautiful answer. And Fabrizio, having achieved so much over the past six years um, at Talking Hands, what are your plans for its future? What are your big priorities? We have a, a new project undergoing that marks our return to the world of home furniture. It is an object it is an object with a strong textile company that stands as an answer to the energy crisis. It allows you to have a relatively inexpensive source of it to really on during the winter month while becoming the center of family life. And we have a, a very important project and a very ambitious uh, done in collaboration with Clinica Urbana, an architectural firm in Treviso, for the restoration of our atelier, again featuring a mobile textile device. The project introduces a spatial device, a tent, able to transform the space according to the different activities of the atelier, workshop, showroom, assembly hall, theater and archive. The functional program reflects Tolkien's founding principle, democracy, education, work. We have some important partners for this project, the Vitra Foundation, which will partially finance its implementation, and the Danish interior textile company, Quadrat. Well, wonderful that the Vitra Foundation and Quadrata are supporting such an important project. And, and this restored space is in the, the old barracks where you started out. Fabrizio, thank you so much for joining us on Design Emergency. I mean, for me, it has been so inspiring um, to watch the evolution of Talking Hands over the years. And you're a brilliant example of what design can do 
in a practical and a political sense um, to intervene in such a grave global crisis as the current refugee emergency. Um, not only have you helped so many hundreds of refugees and migrants when they were at their most vulnerable and at, in their greatest need of support, you've also helped to transform perceptions of the crisis in your local community. So it's an extraordinary design achievement. Um, if any of you who are listening want to see images of the Talking Hands workshops and the products it produces, you can do so on our Design Emergency Instagram feed at, at design.emergency. And please tune in again soon for another episode of Design Emergency. Thank you for listening.